Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. DTW, Void were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. It's time for the VolQuest podcast where we dissect the biggest news items of the week. A good Tuesday, everybody, and welcome to TheVolQuest.com. As always, on the VolQuest YouTube channel, a big thank you to our friends for making this podcast possible. That is Exterior Home Solutions. Give them a, free, uh, give them a call today for a free estimate. That's at 865-524-5888. Exterior Home Solutions. You can also check them out online at ExteriorHomeSolutions.com. I uh, got awesome prize Brent Hubs, Rob Lewis, I'm Eric Kane. A lot going on right now uh, for Tennessee basketball. Heading to the Sweet 16, Tennessee football beginning spring practice. Uh, Lady Balls in action as well, so a whole lot to get into. But let's start with basketball. And Rob, it was a obviously a fun little trip down to Orlando. Tennessee finds a way to win, holds off Louisiana in the first round game. And then in the round of uh, 32, really put it to Duke physically and kind of edged out a 13-point win there in Tennessee on to the Sweet 16 for the first time since 2018-2019 season. Yeah, great weekend for Tennessee basketball. Um, you know, just a real fun to watch them, you know, have that kind of success after, you know, it really has kind of been a slog, since, you know, the last four or five weeks of the season. They've dealt with, obviously, a lot of adversity, a lot of injuries. They were a super popular pick, and, you know, from all the national talking heads to, to you know, lose in the first round, and certainly everybody pretty much had had, had Duke in that one. So big, big, big day for Tennessee, and really, you know, I mean, I, Hubbard, you've been around probably biggest NCAA tournament win in program history, other than the Ohio State win in the Sweet Sixteen. Yeah, I mean, I, I think so. You know, when and again, I wrote this afterwards. I mean, depending on your age demographic, I mean, whether they're the the greatest team ever or not the greatest team ever you still beat duke who, who's the perennial tournament team and in in our generation rob they were the perennial tournament team maybe they didn't win it every year but they were you know they they were a mainstay in the final four they were always in a regional final so i, I think that the reputation that that win gives you is you know that comes with beating them in the tournament is a big deal and um, you know, for this team to be able to put it together is, is what you're looking for in March. You want to be playing your best basketball and, and Tennessee did that, you know, in a game where everybody's going to remember that game for a long time and they should remember it for Tennessee playing well. Uh, and at some point, maybe this narrative that, that Tennessee's the bully on the block is going to, is going to die down a little bit or, or change a little bit. I, I'm, I still don't grasp the whole concept of, of why that's the thing. I mean, John Shire at Duke never criticized Tennessee. The Duke players didn't criticize Tennessee, Rob, for, for their style of play. They called it physical, but they never called it dirty. Yet the national narrative out there is suddenly like, 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 like Tennessee did the game a disservice by the way they played on Saturday, which I, I, I find pretty baffling to be honest with you. Well, yeah. And Duke shot seven foul shots. I mean, that to me is, is the biggest, you know, red flag out there to, to you know poke a hole in that narrative. 
Well, that and the fact, Robin, you and I talked about this on the nation. I mean, they went to the monitor three times. And how many of them did they come back and say it was a flagrant foul? If it's no. not a flagrant foul, how can anybody call it dirty play? I mean, like, that's just the stupidest stuff I've ever seen. Like, I just don't understand the whole logic. Because, again, if it was dirty, wouldn't it have been a flagrant foul? I mean, and, and by the way, I've not watched a little bit. I watched Duke in the ACC tournament the last couple of games, and I watched them the two games in Orlando that they played. And I would not heard John Shire talk. I grew a lot of respect for the way he handled that game after the game when they brought up the fact they were missing that key player. And he's like, well, Tennessee was missing Zakai Ziegler. Like, I mean, like just the way he handled himself, the praise he gave Tennessee and, and all that. I, I don't know. I, I'm not saying I'm some Duke fan because I'm not, but I, I'm a, I love the way he handled himself. I, I was a, a lot of respect for that guy. John Shire was a coach back when he was the point guard for Duke in 2010, won a national championship. He's, you knew you knew back then if you watch him play college basketball he was going to be a coach and listen to what he spoke but I mean I was impressed with him as well but kind of on that note guys Tennessee being the bully if you will Florida Atlantic coach after its win to advance on the Sweet 16 was asked about Tennessee and kind of getting ready for that his name is Dusty Bay he said we're going to study Australian rugby rules and get ready for the Vols and so that that's kind of been played up here early in the week and and Rob I hadn't listened to it I hadn't seen the video or anything maybe he was just you know poking fun having having fun or whatever but I mean again this is a narrative that's not going to die down and, and as Brent kind of put it on the board the other day I think Tennessee should embrace it right it's it's us against the world yeah and you know I don't want to make too much of it but it is going to be a narrative around this game I mean from the you know talking heads perspective I mean you're going to hear about it you know Tennessee's physical style whatever they play and and you know, I don't want to say Rick Barnes is super concerned with it, but now, you know, the referees are going to hear that stuff and they're not, you know, it's going to be something they pay attention to. I mean, not that they wouldn't pay attention to physical play at, at all, but that's going to be the talk around this game. I mean, thanks to Jay Billis and, and, and Seth Davis and then, and thanks to, you know, Dusty May and his post-game comments, you know, for after the Florida Atlantic went over Fairleigh Dickinson. So it's just, you know, you just wonder if, if, if the referees are going to be more prone to have a quick whistle because it is going to be, you know, a talking point this week. Well, Dusty May is doing exactly what a good coach does. Oh, sure, absolutely. What, what did what did Phil Jackson do all those years? He thought, oh, Mike just never gets the calls. Mike never gets the calls. Next game, every time Mike went in the lane, whistle blown, whistle blown, whistle blown. I mean, like, good coaches know how to work those things. Rick knows how to work officials. He's been doing it for years, too. So, I mean, it's just it's good coaching. I know what you're saying, and, and I agree with your point, but maybe there's a little bit of, diff of a difference between Dusty May and Phil Jackson with the with the 90s Bulls. No, well, yes, but the, the, the logic of coaching, I know, I how know. you coach. What, what's what's going to be interesting to me about that that New York bracket in, in, in Madison Square Garden, Rob, when, when you look at that game is, does Tennessee get an advantage playing the second game with the officials? Because, listen, the king of physicality in postseason play is Tom Izzo, right? I mean, let's put on some shoulder pads and helmets and, you know, put up some hockey boards and slam everybody into the side court and everything else. I mean, that's that's what he's – that's his whole career. Not that he's a bad basketball coach, but they have long been thought to be one of the most physical basketball teams in the country. So, them playing first, do they – are the officials cognizant of it from one game one to game two, you know, does it change anything? Do, do they set a tone for how that thing is going to be played in game one in New York? I, I think that's, I mean, that's probably diving too deep into it. 
but you do have two physical teams playing in New York against two teams who probably aren't considered the most physical teams when you're talking about Florida Atlantic and Kansas State. All right, so nobody liked that point. (laughs) (laughs) I'm waiting on Rob to talk. I thought you were going to jump in, EC. I'm sorry. Well, you'll have two different you'll have two different sets of officials, but at the same time, like I I agree that Hub. Why don't you share the same dressing room? No, hundred percent. That's what I was going to say. They're all going to be in there together. So you know they're going to be in there. They're going to be having conversations. So I do think it helps Tennessee that they're the second game, so they can kind of see how it's officiated uh, from from one game to the next, even though they're not the same group they're going to get the same message you know going out onto the floor that night so i do think hubs brings up a great point having the second game at least gives you an idea doesn't mean it'll be the same probably should be but it doesn't mean it will but it does give you an idea of how it will be called rob tennessee turned the basketball over 18 times against louisiana only nine times i believe against duke what was the biggest difference there well, I, I, if you watched that game Thursday night, the biggest difference was guys didn't throw the basketball to the people that weren't looking. I mean, how many times did that happen in, in the Louisiana game? I mean, at least three off the top of my head in the first half alone that I can remember. I, I just feel like they were way more cognizant. They were, I mean, just they were locked in all the way around uh, in that Duke game. I thought they did a great job of taking the, the scout, of, of, you know, taking the game plan. I thought the kids did a great job of going out and executing, but. You know, ball security is something they've been harping on a lot. I mean, since since Zakai went down, the Tennessee had had more turnovers than the opponent in every game they played. I think it, would that have been three or four, two in the SEC tournament at Auburn, Louisiana. So four games, they had more turnovers than the opponent, which is completely out of character for this team. Um, I mean, even if they're not turning the opponent over a ton, they don't turn it over a lot themselves. Tennessee was second in, in the SEC in that department. So, you know, the way they play, I mean, you. you against good teams at this level, but you, you really can't afford to give them extra possessions. And Tennessee did a great job uh, of that against Duke. And I, and I really, you know, I don't think it was you know, anything magical. I mean, I think they were just really cognizant and um, not sloppy with it. I mean, they were just, some of those turnovers against Louisiana were just, just sloppy. Rick used the word ridiculous, you know, after the game to describe it. And it's, it's true. I mean, it wasn't like they were getting hounded by, you know, tons of ball pressure and, you know, being, being forced you know, into mistakes. I mean, Tennessee just had a lot of self-inflicted miscues. And I thought against Duke, I mean, certainly the turnovers were, were one aspect of, of them being locked in. But I just, I just thought they were dialed in all, all day long. Well, and Tennessee's going to be the bigger, bigger team in this game, Hubber. I, I think that one of the keys in this game will be can Tennessee's bigs get the FAU big in foul trouble? Because that's really the only size FAU has is that kid. Like, they're really small otherwise. Yeah, we'll we'll stay on the matchup. I got another question about being locked in that I'll get. I want to ask Rob in a second. But but Rob, when you look at this matchup with FAU, this, this is a very different type of game that, than the Duke game. I mean, they're going to play five out a lot. They're going to drive, put their head down, use their speed. In some ways, this is a more difficult matchup for Tennessee than the Duke game was. When you talk about guard penetration and that type of thing, when you Watch Florida Atlantic play. You see Tennessee style. What do you What do you think is an advantage for Tennessee? What's the disadvantage Tennessee has to overcome in this matchup on Thursday night? Oh, I think coming off the Duke game, and you watch how Tennessee rebounded the basketball. I mean, size is is definitely you know going to be an advantage. I mean, that's a no brainer. Uh, but I, I thought that was a, a huge key. I mean, Tennessee out not only out rebounded Duke, but really really limited second chance opportunities. And um, I, I think Tennessee should 
you know, you just look at it on paper, this matchup, and, and that should be a big advantage for Tennessee, not just, you know, the rebounding, but eliminating second chance points uh, against Florida Atlantic. And, you know, I'm, I think Tennessee will be able to stay with them. I mean, maybe you play, you know, maybe you go a little bit smaller, but I mean, you're, you're kind of limited there without Zakai um, at there. But I don't, I don't think it's going to be a disadvantage over, but it's, it is going to be a challenge the way, what you're talking about, the way they're going to spread Tennessee out. They'll shoot a lot of threes. Uh, I think, you know, I'm not a Florida Atlantic expert, but from what I have you know, seen in the past couple of days, I, I think they have really good spacing, um, really balanced, and, um, you know, they play really well, well together. What, they win 30, 33, 34 games now? I mean, that's I – don't, I don't care where you're playing. I mean, if you do that, I don't care what level. I mean, that's a, that's a solid basketball team that, you know, that plays well together as a unit. So, Tennessee being able – you know, I, I, don't, I don't think Tennessee won't be out, able to handle it, but I think that'll be the challenge. Can they – when they get spread out, you know, can they cut down the driving lanes? Can they stay out on shooters and, you know, without creating gaps? Yeah, and because Florida Atlantic is all about gaps, Eric, when, when you look at what they did. And I know it's fairly Dickinson and, and how they got there is still baffling to me. Uh, Matt Painter is probably still figuring, trying to figure that out as he has the past couple of years, you know, how he's home after the first weekend. But you look at the, the, the tempo that, that FAU plays with, and Tennessee's going to have to be great in transition because FAU's going to get it out of the basket and go as hard as they can. And can Tennessee handle their space game? I think that's going to be really, really key to watch early, particularly early in this basketball game. Who catches their breath first might be the biggest key, one of the biggest keys early on in this game. I think it's advantage Tennessee early because you have Santiago Vescovi, who was running all over that court in the first half against Duke, and he was huge. And you know what else? I'm sorry to interrupt. You. Is it advantage? Maybe a small thing. Tennessee, in, you know, I don't think it's necessarily by design, but Tennessee's been in New York a lot, mm-hmm. least, you know, recently. I mean, they've not. Everybody hasn't played at Madison Square Garden, but they, but the guys who were on the team last year, they played Texas Tech up there. But more, more than the arena, just the environment that you're going to get into uh, up there, the hoopla that, that's going to be around it. I mean, this team. I mean, they've they've been there. I mean, they almost every year. So that I mean that all all the jazz. It's going to be you know the outside noise, quote unquote. I I think this team will be it, it won't it won't rattle them at all. Whereas it'll be a completely new experience for Florida Atlantic. Can Tennessee, however, get themselves locked in against a team a a, a lesser named team? Because you look at Tennessee's best performances this year, it's Kansas, it's Texas, it's Duke. Alabama. It's Alabama. Even right? Arizona on the road. In Arizona on the road, even though they lost that game. Tennessee's struggle performances are against the lesser-named teams. That maybe are good teams, but they don't carry that pedigree, Rob. Can this team find that lock? Can they get locked in Thursday night the way they were locked in on Saturday? Because clearly they weren't locked in the way they needed to be Thursday night against Louisiana when you talk about the unforced errors. Yeah, Hubbard, I mean, you never know until they tip it off, but I'll be surprised. I mean, I really like the mental makeup of this team. I mean, I was surprised Thursday night by, you know, how, how sloppy they were out of the gate. But just, I mean, being around the guys, being in the locker room, you know, Sunday afternoon, I mean, they're they're not happy just being in the Sweet 16, I guess is is the big point. I mean, they and, – and I think because of the stage, because of the stakes, I'll, I'll be really surprised if they aren't dialed in. Now, they, they may not shoot it well. <laughs> you never know with this team, but but as far as as executing a defensive game plan, I, I think that they will be 100% ready on that end. I've said for the last six to eight weeks, I thought the key players for this team 
you know, people talk about Ziegler and, and stuff like that. I thought it was obviously Santi, but I, I thought Kamwa because just he's the guy that can score. With a team that struggles to score, he's the one guy that can score it in the paint. And and when he's making those 12 and 15 footers, and of course he was making them out further, much further than that against, you know, Duke. But um, when he's making those, Tennessee's a different team because their spacing changes, I feel like, um, you know, on, on offense. So I, I'm with you, Rob. I, I couldn't agree more. Best I got two things real quick before we shift gears. Go ahead, Go ahead Eric. Real sure. quick, Rob, isn't – or maybe I'm misremembering this, Roger Clemens style. Doesn't Tennessee always shoot poorly in the garden? Is that right? I don't think – it's not always. The, the thing last year was they had a different basketball. They used the, that Texas Tech game that was just a rock yeah. fight. It was a it was a Spalding basketball. And I you could go out and find numbers. They're out there. I mean, people have, have, have tracked it. Was, was it the same basketball that the Duke women used against Florida State earlier in the year? I don't know about that one. <laughs> oh, but it, there, there, are, there are some stats out there where people have tracked about how, how, how badly the shooting percentages are when you go from the Wilson or, or the Nike to, uh, to that Spalding basketball. Which, which, again, is a crazy thing to me in, in the world of basketball. Now, we get in the tournament, everybody's using the same ball. But I guess it's because of the shoe companies. Everybody's got a different basketball that they play with, it feels like, you know? So, like, if you're playing Wednesday night, you know, at an Adidas school, then then you may be on a playing with a – so you got to practice three days with a different ball than what you would play with at home because you're a Nike school. That just seems pretty baffling to me that in that sport you're like, hey, we, we got a rack of five different balls. I'm not sure which one we're playing with Wednesday night. Let's, let's practice with this one because it may be the ball that they play with. It's, it seems bizarre to me. But AP, how should fans approach this game? Um, you know, we're talking about the team locked in, all that type of stuff. And, and Rick Barnes is never going to undervaluate an opponent. Neither will this team. But I mean, if you're a fan and you're sitting here, and you made it through the first, you survived the first round. You take down Duke in the second round. You're in the Sweet 16. You see a nine next to the team name you're about to play, and knowing that they are deserving to be here, but also you've and knowing you've only been to one Elite Eight ever in the history of the program, but, I mean, it's just right there. Kind of how should you approach that? Well, I mean, I would say cautiously. Redact, but the, nine. redact the nine off the line is what I would say. It, Go it's, ahead. it's hard to do that. I mean, not not redact the nine. I think that's what you should do. Hubs has given up great advice. But, like, it's hard to not kind of put the card ahead of the horse because, mm-hmm. you're, you know, ESPN does the re-rank the top six to Sweet 16, and guess who's last? Lord Atlantic. Yeah. You know, and so – it's natural to go, man, Tennessee's going to win that game, man. You know, but this is the thing about it. We got the text. We, we were all in that group text from, from, from a member that said, you know, hey, you know, blah, blah, blah. And I said, no, no, no. Tennessee's MO is to beat Duke and then lose to the lesser team. Mm-hmm. And so, like, I, I think it's easy to kind of go down that road, but it's hard not to put the card ahead of the horse. You know, what's right in front of them? Even if they, you know, even if you go play – Kansas State, you're not playing the one or two. You're playing the three. You'll be the home team if Michigan State wins. So, I mean, Tennessee's got a real shot here, but they've never done it before. So, yeah. it's easy to it, it's easy to put the card ahead of the horse, but at the same time, I think it's a really easy to kind of just be cautiously optimistic. I think it's a, it's a trip for fans. They're going to New York. Rob will be signing autographs. Ebb mm-hmm. has sending him to the real Louis Vuitton store. See, when I went last week, I had to take my kids down to Canal Street, buy them the fake Gucci and fake Louis Vuitton. But Deb has said, no, Rob, I want a real Louis. You got to go get some Louis. And, and and so Rob will be signing autographs outside of there. It's it's a trip for fans, and, and, and they'll have fun. Tennessee fans will show up in, in force for this game. And I, I just think it's going to be Tennessee-Michigan State in a defensive slugfest in the Elite Eight. And with Magic Johnson on hand, Tennessee trying to – 
get over the hump against the team that beat them the one time they did make it to the Elite Eight. Knowing it would be dis- knowing it would be disappointing if you lose regardless, but also to a team with the, with the nine by, by its name. But can we all agree it's house money right now for Tennessee? It's house money. No, no, it's no. house money if they make it to the Elite Eight. Eric. It would be house money if they were playing Purdue. Yes. So Thursday. just because of the opponent, I just yeah. I, and and I see that for sure. But I'm just like, man. It, I mean, it, I'm sure you guys are with thing. me here. I didn't expect Tennessee ever to go to the Sweet 16 this year. Well, in, in I mean, month of February. In, in, in the middle of January, I mean, there were, there was talk as a number one seed. Yeah, I, I mean, mean, like in February, yeah. Like the way they were limping into postseason play, I guess. Like the second weekend, I didn't well, think so. Here's why it's not house money. It's not house money because you're a consistent tournament team. It's house money if you're playing the number one seed in the tournament and you weren't supposed to be there. The team playing with house money is Florida Atlantic. Yep. I mean, they're, they're the ones that have they have nothing to lose. Well, yeah, and then Princeton and the 16 would have – yeah, of well, course, I, I get Michigan that. State also, I would say, is playing with house money. Nobody yeah. thought they were going to be here. Yeah, I mean, so – But if it was if it was Purdue in the Sweet 16, would it be house money? Yes. Yes. Okay. Yes, totally different. But, and the other thing, too, is if you lose in the Elite Eight to Kansas State, the three seed, or Michigan State, a team that perennially made – you know, made final fours and, and, and has won a national title, even though it was 23 years ago in 2000. And, 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 you know, you know, big game Tom Izzo's always getting his team to play its best basketball in March. Fans aren't going to blink an eye. Now, they'll be upset, right? But they won't blink an eye at that. If you lose the FAU in the Sweet 16, that, 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 that's not going to be good. So, again, oh, I agree. I, I agree. Think, I think the start to this game is big for Tennessee because mm-hmm. I think you've got to put them down early. You cannot let them hang around. Well, Rob, anything else from uh, over on campus earlier this week? I know that you're about to head over to New York and there'll be some more media appearances and all that, but Tennessee's going to the Sweet 16. The the uh, vibes, I'm sure, are you know pristine over there on campus right now. Yeah, I had a chance to you know meet with, with Brick and, um, in, on, on Monday. He's certainly comfortable. I mean, he's, <laughs> he's you know, happy to be there. I just – and I, and I think you – know, I don't want to make too big of a deal out of it, but – you know, your team is going to take take a message from their head coach. I mean, you talk about a guy who's who's not wound up tight or you know who is is comfortable in the moment. That that would be Rick Barnes. And before we get off it, however, I think you were going to say about Olivier. Were, were you getting, we're, we're going to christen that the best tournament performance ever by a Tennessee player. Uh, well, I was going to ask you. I mean, where, where do you rank that performance? Regular season, postseason, tournament, whatever. I mean. Third highest scoring from a Tennessee player in the dance, I, I believe I heard that stat. I mean, to, to, to me, I mean, going back and watching the game, you know, rewatching the game, looking at the box score, I mean, he single-handedly answered every Duke basket for seven minutes of a game in the second half, which is which is just a, a just a stupid stat when, when you think about it. I mean, Duke had a five-point run before the first media timeout in the second half, and then they didn't have another run the rest of the game largely because of Olivier. So where do you put – I mean, you watched it live in person. Where do you put that performance just in, in games you've watched against guys? I mean, I think it's the best – I think it's the best one I've seen in, in the tournament. Now, probably the best one um, – and uh, I don't know, Chris Lofton did, did some amazing things, but they, they probably the best individual performance. Maybe when, when, when did – Grant had what, 44 at, at Vanderbilt in, yeah. in a game where Tennessee came back late. Half at the line. Yeah, it was like twenty-two or twenty-two at the line, or, or something crazy, and and Tennessee overcame a, a a pretty big deficit in the second half. That would that would probably be up there. I remember one 
one year in Thompson Bowling, Chris Lofton just ate Memphis alive. But he did it, he did it all in the first half, and he, so it wasn't like he went for forty. I mean, I think he maybe scored twenty three in the first half. Um, Lofton it rubbed that one year, Rob. Was it oh six Big, like yeah, the first time Tennessee had won there in in, in forever. In like twenty seven uh, or twenty eight at Rub. But I, I mean, con- consider the stakes. I mean, like the narrative around this team, and and you know how everybody had written them off. I, and I may be misremembering something. I'm I'm getting old. But as far as <laughs> as far as in actually in the tournament, I would I would rank that one number one. You are sitting in Grandpa's chair. Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm with you, Rob. I, I don't know what it. I don't know what compares to it. It is when you when you step back and think about it. I mean, I don't even know. I'm not sure who number two would be because that Ohio State win to get to the Elite Eight game, that was just kind of a combination of a bunch of guys. It wasn't like anybody went bananas. No, not offensively. I mean, JP Prince had a great defensive game that night against Evan Turner. You know, kid that was picked number two in the draft, and but nobody did what Olivier did. I, I. Offensively, just so splat. I mean, ten to thirteen from the floor. At one, I mean, outscored Duke single-handedly, like in the last eight minutes of the game. Yeah, it's uh, nuts. And it's and it's maddening when you see. You know, he might, he might have six on Thursday, right? You know, and I and I don't mean to be. I, I, I mean, I, I love Olivier. I love Olivier. I mean, he's one of my you know one of my favorite guys, and and he really works at it. Is is why that, that's one of the reasons his inconsistency is so hard to to get your head around because. I mean, Tennessee's got a lot of hard workers, but Olivier is a gym rat. He's in there all the time. Um, he's got the respect of his head coach. I mean, when Rick Barnes calls you a hard worker and goes out of his way, I mean, you're a hard worker. And the fact that he puts in as much time as he does and, you know, just you don't know what you're going to get from one night to the next is is a real head scratcher. I mean, think about it. 27 points against Texas. <laughs> Two of Tennessee's best wins of the year, but Olivier just goes off. Yeah, certainly did. I, I want to ask this last basketball thing. Doing, I know we're going to grab in a couple of football things before we wrap up. Ron Slay, Rob said this on, on the Rocky Top Rewind on Sunday night. I, I asked him about the challenges of being in the tournament, and and Grant made this point kind of separately, but it sort of falls in line together. Ron said, Ron said the biggest challenge was when something goes off script, right? When 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 something happens off script, and he referenced Haywood getting foul, fouling out against in the North Carolina game his freshman year, and then Ed Cota decided to take over the game. And how North Carolina played after Haywood was out of the game was, was totally different. Grant made the point that Tennessee's benefiting from the adversity they've had to play through because it's made them a little tougher here. And and maybe the fact that Duke won 10 straight and had any hard times in, in three weeks makes it a little harder for you to handle when things don't go well. How much more – is Tennessee season prepared for this moment now because of kind of what they've been through with the loss of Ziegler and trying to learn how to play with him and not being on a hot win streak like they were a year ago when they went into the tournament? Yeah, I mean, I I think it's a real thing. I mean, I, I think they – I mean, Jamai Bashak, we were talking the other day, and he was like, nobody in this room – you know, we, we think we're underdogs. I mean, we that's how we feel coming into this tournament. We have a chip on our shoulder. Um you know, like they, they hear all the talk from the outside, and I'm not saying that that's the only reason they're they're playing well, but you know they they don't feel like a big favorite. I mean, I don't I don't think they'll they'll feel that way against Florida Atlantic, even you know playing a, playing a nine seed. And I, I think the adversity that they fought through, you know, really since February. I mean, since February especially, but I mean going back, you know, Josiah's battled something since October. Santi 
I don't know if Santi's still 100% with the shoulder, but then, you know, playing five games without Julian Phillips, four games without Josiah. I mean, I, I think this team, the, the resiliency factor, I, I think, is a real thing for this team. I think that, and I think they have benefited from what you're talking about, going through some hard times, being doubted, and, um, you know, sneaking up on people. I, I, I think this team likes, you know, the, the narrative that's around them. Do you have one more thing, Hover? I couldn't remember. No, you said two things. No, All right. Hey, Tennessee, FAU, four-seeded Tennessee Volunteers, number nine seed FAU, going to take on or going to play on Thursday. That game is at 9 o'clock Eastern time in Madison Square Garden in New York City. Sweet 16 for the Tennessee Volunteers. The winner of that game would go on to play the winner of K-State and Michigan State on Saturday for uh, a chance to go on to that prestigious uh, platform, which would be the Final Four. So we'll see what is in store for Tennessee and FAU on Thursday night. Robin Grant will be on site giving you great coverage over at VolQuest.com. Uh, March Madness, it, it's not only begun, but hey, we're, we're, we're thriving in it right now. It's time for you to shoot your shot. Score big with the nonstop action over at MyBookie. Whether you're filling out multiple brackets, betting on the eventual national championship winner, simply looking for player or game props, MyBookie has got you covered. Getting started with MyBookie is super easy. Make your first deposit. Use that promo code VOLQUEST to claim an exclusive deposit bonus. That's VOLQUEST, V-O-L-Q-U-E-S-T, to claim some extra money on top of your initial deposit. Hundreds of thousands of prizes of March Madness plus weekly blackjack tournaments. Turn your game day into payday with MyBookie. Bet anything, anytime, anywhere with my bookie. And as always, I want to say a big thank you to our proud presenting sponsor of the VolQuest podcast, that is Exterior Home Solutions. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. A lot of basketball talk here on today's VolQuest podcast, but spring football did begin earlier this week. And I had a chance to already see a couple of practices by now. We've gotten to see a little bit of some pads popping and whatnot. But, uh, Brent, I think that we can all agree that Josh Heupel, when we spoke to him earlier this week, he was very evident saying, hey, for the first time, I feel like we have some depth on this football team. And it's kind of completely different from where we've been in recent off seasons. Yeah, I mean, Austin's made the joke. And it's right. I mean, he's not holding open auditions for linebackers and and, and defensive backs to get through spring practice like he has the last two years. So this is a team with a lot of a lot of depth, a lot more bodies out there. Austin, they look more athletic. Time will tell how much they can play football and, and how quickly some of those guys can play football. Uh, but there's no doubt that this team has upgraded themselves, particularly on defense, in two ways. One, three ways, really. One, retention of players. Okay, guys not bolting to the transfer portal, guys that count. Two, recruiting, I think, well. Um, they got to develop those guys, but they've recruited athletic guys, particularly those defensive backs. And then thirdly, what they've got in the transfer portal. Um, you, you look at those guys. I mean, Judy's a guy who's played in the SEC in the secondary. Your, your linebacker, Austin, has played, and, and your defensive lineman has played in, in the power five ranks. So th they've upgraded across the board there, um, not, not just upgraded because they had no one to fill the spot, so they had to put a warm body in there. They've upgraded to improve themselves and to add to their depth, which is a far cry from where they were when Josh Heupel got this thing off the ground. 
can can we make a pact as we said here on 320 that if Gabe Judy Lally gets any picks this year on the Vol Network broadcast, you will go Judy, Judy, Judy. <laughs> there would be some that would enjoy Ain't that. Ain't no clue what I'm even talking about. But 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 and I'm not wrong with this either. But you and I do. And so, um, Can you giggle though too? I know that one. You know, uh, that was specific for CP. Um, you know, I just uh, I'm with you, Hubs. They just look different, and 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 you're right. The transfers they brought in, I think, can help them. I'm interested to see about Omar Norman a lot. I think Dante Thornton is going to help them. I think Keenan Peely is going to help them. Gabe Judy Lally is going to help them. What's Omar Norman a lot? They're going to play more than him, though, right? And that's just because the defensive line's a rotational position. Uh, oh yeah, hundred percent. I just want to know, like, what does he bring? Like, like that that one to me is the X factor because I, I think that potentially he could be really kind of that kind of like steady Eddie, even keel, consistent guy. Hard nose experience that Rodney Garner's looking for for that position, and yeah, then see, of course, I, I, I want to see Peely. I, I want to see Peely, and how does that? How does how does his game translate into the SEC? From yeah, he, he looks so you know, physically impressive. Oh yeah, he's big, but can he move well yeah. enough? You know, to 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 really be that bridge guy to some of those young guys come along. I don't disagree with you on Norman Lott. I'm more interested in how Peely adjusts to the SEC. Yeah, no, I, I agree with you. I agree with you. And, and then and then the other one is John Campbell. And what does he give them? How far is the drop-off losing Darnell Wright? Because I think that will prove, well, they better hope not. They better hope not. They better it hope It's like it's getting bigger every day when you look at the latest mock draft. It feels like the drop-off. Yeah, I mean, I don't disagree. <laughs> I'm, but what I'm saying is you better hope that Glenn Ellerby can pull – really good play out of those tackles. If you're replacing a guy like Darnell Wright, at least you have a guy that's played five years in college football and been a four-year starter. Yeah. It's not like you're starting from scratch. And, you know, John Campbell can do that on either side of the football. I thought he looked good out there physically, at least on, on a Monday. Um, I, I'll tell you somebody I was impressed with. And again, it's, it's, you know, first couple days, no pads, no defense, take it all with a grain of salt. Man, Dante Thornton looks good running routes. It looks real good. Skinny routes, catching the ball <laughs> with his hands, getting upfield. The the love affair with everybody in DT is going to be uh, spectacular. Hubs has already called him pretty, and, and, <laughs> and, and you, you know, I mean, like I get it, man. He does. He looks he looks pretty out there running routes. Yeah, I mean, it's it, be hard not to get excited about him. The question is, is how do they work him and Squirrel in together? And do yeah. we see that rare four wide receivers? Like I. You know, they don't do that a whole lot, but do we do we see some combination there that gives some change up because they're not super deep, deep at tight end and the loss of Princeton Fant, I think, will be noticeable. Yeah, I, I don't disagree with you there. Uh, I think they have to find a way to mask that and continue to use a tight end. I think what I think a storyline nobody's going to talk about with this receiver group. We had this on, the, on the, this question in the Rocky Top Rewind, and I didn't think of this answer until I watched him out there today. I'm not saying Squirrel White is not going to get on the field. Don't get me wrong. But the slot position is the money position, right? I mean, it, it's the money position in this offense. If Dante Thornton is really good in the slot position, are you going to see Dante Thornton, Brew McCoy, Ramel Keaton 
as opposed to Squirrel White with Dante Thornton outside and Brew McCoy outside. I, I think I think the big body at the the big rangey guy at the slot position, as we saw with Jalen Hyatt, can be a big time a big time deal. And I'm not saying Squirrel White can't be that, but he's not Jalen Hyatt from a physical from a physical standpoint, range and all that kind of stuff. Well, that, and that's the thing you're talking about Hyatt. He's not Hyatt, and Dante Thornton's even bigger than Hyatt. Oh, I know. So I mean, like, so you know, you're talking about a huge. I mean, if you go if you go and watch the highlights, I specifically put in a four second clip of Dante Thornton standing beside Squirrel White to show everybody the size difference between the two. I mean, like Dante Thornton is long, super long. Now, but no, if you sleep on Squirrel White, he'll make you pay. That kid's got something in him. Like I, Squirrel White's going to play. I oh, think I agree. Interesting I, to I, see. I agree with that. But yeah, yeah, I know you do. I know you do. I, I think I think I'm interested to see how they try to work a fourth receiver in because last year they just didn't. Like they were forced to because Ramel Keaton had to play once said went down. Yeah, and then said ended up you know basically not playing the last two games and Ramel Keaton was right back out there. So yeah, but as soon as soon as they were overlap. Yeah, and as so, soon as they were in full strength, that you didn't have a fourth receiver, and so correct. I mean, until until I see it routinely, I'm not going to believe it because I just it's been two years playing three receivers. And how about this? We're only having this conversation. Of course, there's flexibility there with the position of Dante Thornton, and that's a good thing. But the only reason we're having this conversation is because we've seen Ramel Keaton get it done, right? And I mean, again, credit to him for what he did last year. But it was seven, eight games. Are you comfortable having Ramel Keaton out there for 12 games being your, your number one guy out there? Or number two guy, number three option, but your other outside guy opposite of Bruce McCoy. Here's a, here's a quick trivia question. We talk about they don't they play three receivers. Okay. How many catches did Squirrel White have last year? 13. 20? 20? AP? Uh, I would go mm, 21. Rob? Uh, I will go. I'm, I like the 20, 20 ish. He had 30 receptions for 481 yards last year. Wow. That's a lot more than I thought. So he played. Now, some of those were the little dinky sweep things. And then obviously, he got a bunch of targets to open that Clemson game, right? I mean, it was kind of raise and throw it there. But I think, I think I, I run the narrative out there too often a little bit like they only play three. They only play three. I mean, he was backing up Jalen Hyatt and had 30 catches. And Jalen Hyatt didn't miss any time this year. But again, we saw so much of Joe you know, throwing a bomb down to Squirrel. We saw that a couple of times in mop-up duty, right? Right. So, I mean, again, some of that was mop-up duty play. But they, they tried to force Squirrel White in there. So, I think they'll play four receivers a little more. And they probably play four a little more than we give them credit for. They're not going to go five or six. I don't know that they're going to play four receivers on the field at the same time. Unless Austin's right, and they're just so pedestrian at tight end, they feel like they have to do something a little bit different schematically. Well, but the tight end is such an integral part of how they get guys open. Or if you're playing from behind, too. I think my, my thing, too, is, though, is every year they're trying to throw a little something different out there. Is this the year, though, where they, they – because they can, that they throw double slots, you know – and, and, and go with four wide receivers. I think that's a possibility just to show more. You know, they you've, you've seen what they can do with the tight ends and how they use them. Is a new wrinkle that 
I don't know. I mean, I, I'm just throwing That's out. A good question. Uh, no, I, I mean, and and you're right. There's a new wrinkle All seemingly every week, but there's also a new wrinkle from year to year, Eric. Yeah, no doubt. And so that, that, that could very well be a, a possibility because they can this year. If all healthy, they've got the horses to do it. I do want to point this out. I know we got a couple of minutes left, but because Brew McCoy is extremely limited this spring, because Dante Thornton is practicing in the slot right now, Austin, what a time for Chaz Nimrod and Caleb Webb. Now or never, right? Well, you hate to say now or never for guys that literally are wrapping up their freshman. I know, but that that's the era we're in. But it's the era you're in because – if you're not playing or getting some type of run by the end of your redshirt freshman or your true sophomore year, who gets in the ear of said player and says, man, you're not playing, you got to go. You got to get right yeah. now some time. You got to get in the portal. We still can strike while the iron's hot. People still remember you from a year or two ago. We can get you here. We can get you there. And kids are like, man, you're right. I want to play. And, and then they, they, they make bad decisions. That happens. It happens. And so – you know, I mean, look at you, you. If you watch Ball Club Confidential, what did Dante Thornton say? By the time that I started making plays at Oregon, it was too little, too late, and I was already out the door in my mind. I was ready to go, and I was ready to go in the portal. And so, like, it's why I asked Josh Heupel that question on Monday: is how do you balance the having them physically ready versus hey, I've got to play this guy. Otherwise, he's going to get antsy and make a, a, a decision to go in the portal and, and potentially leave my program. Like, and all coaches are having to battle that. So, yeah, like, I think it's the biggest question in college athletics. Period. I think Rick Barnes is having to deal with it. His assistants are having to deal with it. I think Tony Vitello has to deal with it in baseball. Josh Heupel in football. I think every college coach in every sport around the country is trying to do the whole balancing act of keep guys happy enough with some playing time. But you know, don't don't play them when they're not ready. But but do enough with them so that they don't leave you before they have a chance to be ready. Which I think is the biggest challenge in roster management right now. It'll be interesting to see what it looks like over spring practice. Two days down and thirteen more to go until uh, the Orange and Y game gets here in mid-April. Uh, Cam Selden also at running back. He looks like a college athlete. So uh, I enjoyed seeing him in the highlight reel and. See him out there on the practice field. So a lot more to get into. Got plenty of coverage of Tennessee spring football practice. It's over on the front page of allquest.com. And, of course, Tennessee in the Sweet 16. Rob Lewis and Grant Ramey going to be up in the Big Apple. Awesome price was just there. Brent, when are you taking me and Matt? No, we're not going to the Big Apple. We don't go to the big cities. We stay in the small towns. Oh, it's only right? fair, I guess. I will take you Mount Highland. I might take you to Mount Pilot or Siler City, but I'm not sure we're going to New York City. <laughs> what about Capital City? We have to go, go through Raleigh. We we'll have to go through Chickasaw County and Sheriff Little will pull us over. <laughs> For Awesome Price, Brent Hubbs, Rob Lewis, I'm Eric Kane. A big thank you to Exterior Home Solutions, the proud presenting sponsor of this podcast. Go ahead and give them a call for a free estimate today at 865-524-5888. That's Exterior Home Solutions, 865-524-5888, and ExteriorHomeSolutions.com. Guys, appreciate it. Thanks so much for joining us here on the VolQuest Podcast. You've been listening to the VolQuest Podcast every week here on VolQuest. With 
With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.